Welcome to Crime Wire, a program dedicated to bringing attention to unsolved crimes and educating the public about various types of crimes and how to avoid becoming a victim. If you'd like to submit a case to Crime Wire or suggest a topic for a future show, please email us at thenewcrimewire at gmail.com. You can also like us on Facebook at The New Crime Wire. If you have a question or comment for today's show, please call in at 646-478-0982. That's 646-478-0982. Or join us in the discussion in our chat room. Today, my co-host, Eliza Jones of ImaginePublicity.com, and I are doing a special show to introduce the Transparency Project. We welcome your phone calls and questions or comments. Anything you have to say in the chat room will be monitored by Delilah, and we will address your questions or concerns. I'm going to open with uh, reading our mission statement. The goal of the Transparency Project is to help families who are survivors of victims of murder or suspicious death to gain access to police records related to the investigation of the death of their loved one. This will primarily involve making sure the police agency involved is complying in full with the Sunshine or Open Records laws in effect in their particular jurisdiction. It can include filing appeals when requests for records are denied and or recommending changes to existing laws that are overly restrictive. So, Delilah, uh, yes, you and I, going back to the early days of CrimeWire, have encountered over these many years numerous cases of families, of, of survivors, of, uh, of victims of murder or suspicious death who have serious questions about the way the investigation into the death of their loved one was handled. And a lot of times what has happened to them, they they want to take a look at the police records to find out exactly what was done. And if they are fortunate enough to have the resources, uh, both the emotional and financial resources, to launch their own investigation and to try to get to the bottom of what happened to their loved one or to uh, get information to give to the police to uh, to kind of kickstart uh, the investigation. Um, they have been denied, and I'm very frustrated by it. In fact, I have a case I'm working on personally that, that I'm in a, that type of a situation. So... I think it's a, it's it's high past time to try to get something done and make it easier uh, for these families and survivors to access the records and kind of hold the uh, police agency's feet to the fire uh, if if we can to get them to release some information if not all the information. Uh, what are your thoughts on this? 
Oh, well, Denny, I totally agree with you. And as you said, over the years, we've looked at hundreds and hundreds of cases. We've featured a lot of them on the radio. We've we've done blogs about them. And, you know, and, and some people have even gotten involved, you know, with helping the family. And it shouldn't have to be that way, you know? I mean, here we have an a, a example of, the families of a murder victim or a suicide, so-called suicide victim, or, or however their death is deemed suspicious, having to keep notebooks and records and documents and sometimes having their loved one exhumed to have more uh, um pathology reports and forensics done on the remains and it shouldn't have to be that way and i think the common theme that we're hearing about in in a lot of these cases is the initial investigation the initial investigators either didn't have the knowledge to investigate or there was something funny going on and you know it needs to be determined and it needs to be addressed and we shouldn't have to this many years later after the fact of this loved one's death doing things like this, in my opinion. What do you think? Yeah, it's it's uh, actually, when you look at the overall picture, it's frustrating enough with one case. But when you get these, uh, a rather large volume of cases with with similar experiences, uh, it's it's almost a travesty. And, the other thing is something else that was mentioned yesterday by Clue Wright, uh, who was uh, an investigator in the Kayla Skeen case. Uh, uh, he said there are a number of uh, other cases in Florida, for example, that need to be exposed. And it seems as though this thing about suicides, the number of cases that are uh, ruled suicides. Yes, and, and, and the very families quickly. That, it's yeah, kind of like, like, you know, they go in and they rule the it a suicide and everybody signs off on it and, and they think, you know, okay, my job is over, life goes on. But it doesn't for these families who have questions. And when those questions can't be answered, then that's where we have a problem. You know, Denny, we, ha- we do have a phone call. Would you like to take a phone call? Absolutely. Hi, caller. Do you want to say who you are and state your case? <laughs> yes. Hi, is this Delilah? Yeah, hi. Hey, this is Phyllis Cook, and hey. I have the case murdered in Mississippi. Um, I just want to say I thank you and Denny for all that you've done in the past to help as well as what you're doing now because this is so needed. It's needed in all of these cases. Well, Phyllis, don't you agree that a lot of this goes back to the initial investigations, whether, you know, whether there's corruption, whether there's uh, people in place that just don't have the proper training to investigate, or whether there's corruption and cover-up? It does, Delilah, and I realize that these are just suggestions. You know, we're not to air our case today, but, you know, like I say, just with mine, it took 36 years to hear my dad say that my little brother was murdered, and for 36 years I called the police department, and I was told, 
hold on and wait or we'll get back with you or ma'am it's investigating you know we'll do something nothing was done for 36 years except to constantly put me off just like all these other families they tell you hold on and wait and weeks go into months months goes into years and all you can do is call and ask if they tell you it's a suicide or we're going to investigate it all we can do is hope that they're going to investigate it and keep waiting and like i say so much time goes by to all of a sudden it's years and every either the people have died they've moved away they've gone or either they have that option of saying well it's been all these years now the 911 case the call has been destroyed the the um, crime scene photos we no longer have the witnesses we no longer know how to contact them and this is what happened to me until 2013 after never giving up and I stressed to the max please don't anyone ever give up if you think your loved one was murdered and it was not a suicide don't you ever give up because in 2013 I heard the words from a cold case investigator he said miss cook I'm 99.99% sure your brother was murdered he told me by the Dixie Mafia he also sent me a six-man lineup I positively identified the guy that I knew that my dad and other people had stressed that that's who it was not only did it continue to be covered up from 2013 all of a sudden 2018 after the third four-year request I get information back and all of a sudden this investigate I mean this captain Craig Peterson of the Gulfport Police Department, he tells me, oh, we have found Jeffrey Bass. It's not the one that you said was Jeffrey Bass. It's not the one that my investigator sent you a lineup of. It's not the one that, you know, you've been thinking all these years that everyone's pointed out. It's a fabricated another guy. They reiterate my whole story. They tell everything, every witness. They've all of a sudden, after 50 years, that they could not find a witness. They see that I'm getting help on Facebook. They bring out all my witnesses, and they've got they've contacted all the people. So yes, it's horrible. It is a massive cover up, or like you said, it's a lack of interest in the case, or it is the lack of knowledge as to how to investigate these cases. But whatever that case may be, we need answers and we need justice. Absolutely, and you you really made a good point, Phyllis. That uh, don't give up. You know, don't give up. It, if if there's light at the end of the tunnel, there's always hope. So we appreciate your calling, and we will um, always check in with you, <laughs> okay? Oh, thanks, Delilah, honey. And I'm going to stay on hold so I can hear the story. Okay, I'm just going to mute you then. Thanks, honey. Well, maybe. Oh, Okay. <laughs> Figured that one out. So, what do you think, Denny? How long? How long should people well, well, wait? Uh, I don't think there's a time limit, and Phyllis is probably, uh, you know, fifty years. I, I, I mean, I don't think we're going to find many, if any, people um, who have been at it for that long. Uh, you know, trying to get. Uh, Justice. I don't want to overuse the term justice. Everybody uses that, and I, I'm trying to not use it quite so often. Um, but trying to get a resolution. You know, even if uh, at this point, uh, in some in some cases, people have died. Maybe uh, the suspect has died. 
but you'd like, I, I think families would like the police to at least say, okay, this is the guy we are pretty sure did it. Unfortunately, he passed away or whatever, but some type of resolution uh, to the case. And what Phyllis said, as you pointed out, very important, don't give up. That That's that's when the bad guys and the incompetent uh, and possibly corrupt uh, police organizations and uh, maybe a killer, that's when they win. When oh, exactly. And I think, so. you know, it's, it's a case, too, where they put you off, they put you off, they put you off, and it beats you down and beats you down, and you think you're never going to get an answer. And, and not only, you know, not only investigators or, or police agencies do this, but, you know, the actual killer is just, you know, either running free or in jail for another crime that they committed that actually could have been prevented had had the original investigators done their job properly. And and I think You're we correct. see that in all. I want to tell you, years ago, I was working for Pinkerton's as an investigator, and we did quite a bit of insurance work. And I was talking to an insurance uh, company official one day with a report on an investigation I had done. And we got shooting the breeze. And uh, he finally told me, he said, I'll tell you the secret to these claims. I said, what's that? He said, the insurance companies have deep pockets. The claimant is generally speaking, somebody who kind of can use the money you know, and, and would like to get the settlement done. And we outweigh them. Every, at every turn, we block them, we stall, we delay. And finally, it reaches the point after several months or even years where these people can't take it any longer. We kind of beat them down. And they finally say, okay, whatever your offer is, send me the paperwork, I'll sign off. So it, uh, I think that philosophy... Uh, applies also to some of these uh, investigations that uh, I the agree police with do you. and so and forth. And in the meantime, you have, you know, all of these thousands and thousands of families out there just all they want is an answer and they can't get it. And, you know, that to me, I mean, obviously it's re-victimizing the victim again and again and again when every time, um, you know, a... Um, a request is made for information, whether in writing or whether in by phone or or however they are requesting the information, to be you know given given a negative answer every time or to be put off every time and and in Phyllis's case for a long time, it's it's very disheartening and it's very discouraging and you know that leads to other issues that these people have to deal with and they shouldn't have to. They just shouldn't have to. You're right, Deanna. Uh, I don't want to get too far afield here, but here here are my thoughts. I haven't discussed this with you, so you're going to hear it for the first time as well as the listeners. Um, Staying focused on the records issue, which is what our goal is for the Transparency Project, um, what I would like to do 
I think I'm throwing this out there. It's, it's not cast in stone, but my idea is to take families with actual cases, open cases. Now, Phyllis finally got her information, for example, after all these years under FOIA. But take actual cases and work with the person to try to get goods released. Uh, What I have found is that it's kind of standard uh, procedure for the police, if they don't want to release the records, to say, we're sorry, it's an open case. And that's kind of the end of it. Uh, we're excluded. We're exempted from the uh, various sunshine laws or FOIA, whatever that particular uh, open records or whatever, whatever the law is in their particular jurisdiction. Almost everybody's exempted if it's an open case. But as I've been finding out doing some research, open case doesn't mean it's just not a closed case. It's an open case if it's active. Now, each jurisdiction is different. I don't want to say this blanket statement. But, uh, for example, in Florida, I've been reading uh, their Sunshine Law uh, exemptions. And there has to be a suspect. They have to be working the case. It has to be a situation where the release of the information, yes, it may be going to a relative, uh, you know, to the family, of the victim, but then the family might release it to the news media, blah, blah, blah. So, uh, and of course, they don't want the family to take action and, and, and go out and uh, perhaps gun down this, the suspect. Uh, so, uh, while there are legitimate reasons in an open investigation not to release the information, you get these cold cases uh and they don't have to be 50 years old, like in Phyllis's uh, case. You you know, they can be three or four years. If, if they're not being worked, if they're inactive, and the family wants information as to what transpired, uh, just immediately say, ah, open case, we can't help you. Because if the case isn't being worked, if there are no suspects, uh, and they may not be able to use that exemption. But then you have to follow up on that and hold their feet to the fire and say, you know, uh, do you have a suspect? Do you uh, Are you working the case? And, you know, the other thing that can be done is instead of this blanket, we, we can't do anything for you, you know, don't bother us, a moderately or lightly redacted uh, reports may be an option. Uh, Okay, you don't want the family to go looking for the guy you think is a suspect. So if you redact his or her name and address or whatever you have in the report, uh, it's very possible that at least records in that form, mildly or moderately redacted, could be released. Uh, And that's not saying, like in some cases I've seen, where all you get is a blacked out sheet of paper or several sheets of paper, and everything is redacted. (laughs) They send you a totally unusable uh, report. But they can say they did it. (laughs) 
Yep, they can say, okay, we uh, we had to do it, so we redacted it. Uh, but but these are things that even if there are names that they have some legitimate reason for not wanting to get, to to release, uh, certainly they should consider or should be considered that they could release uh, some type of redacted report. Uh, but not totally blacked out stuff. I mean, that would be an insult, uh, like a slap right. in the face. But, uh, you know, legitimately uh, redacted, fine. And a lot of times this, this, you know, the family gets a denial, and then there's no real provision to appeal. You, you don't know where you go next if, if you're not satisfied with the... Uh... So these are the things that I think the Transparency Project, we should address. Yeah, well, while you're on this subject, uh, other than this is an active case and we can't give you the information, are there other reasons that you've run into when trying to get some of these reports? What what other reasons are being given to to the families? That is primarily the reason. It, well, it, yeah, it's an open case, so anything that hasn't been closed, for example, that probably shouldn't apply in, in the suicide cases we're talking about because there the cases are closed. They're closed out as suicides. So th- they shouldn't have a legitimate reason in those cases as far as they can't use the open case thing if it's a closed case. Correct. But, uh, what do they tell that's, in that's them That's primarily – well, that's the thing. There's no real explanation. I see. It's just, uh, you know – we're sorry, but this is an open case, uh, and therefore we're, we're unable to provide you, and we are exempt from whatever whatever law is being cited, whatever they call it in that particular area. We are exempted. Law enforcement is exempted uh, from having to release reports of open cases. So it, it's a it, – it, it's But that wouldn't a, apply to the to the suspicious suicide, would it? It, it, what what, what reasons are they giving these families with the, that you know that they are uh, reported as a suicide, but the family knows it's not? What kind of excuses are they getting? Well, here's here's an issue. Okay, as far as I know, there is no jurisdiction that if the case is closed can refuse a FOIA or a whatever the law is, request for release of information. Uh, they might have to redact some things. Now, I've seen situations where they'll say, well, the autopsy photos are too gruesome to protect the family. We're not going to let those out. Uh, you know, I don't know about that as, as far as an excuse goes. The other thing that can happen, depending on what the See, see, here's the thing. The police are evaluating themselves. I, I mean, you got the uh, – <laughs> uh, they, if they're the only ones that know what are in the reports and what they did, you know, the transparency issue, uh, if they're hiding something, how is anybody going to find out if the police are the only ones with access to the records? So uh, in, in the suicide situations what they can do if they're covering up or protecting someone uh, an investigator or an employee uh, 
or if it's the reputation of the department, whatever it is, a kind of a sneaky maneuver is to reopen the case, but do nothing. Oh, oh I You see. suddenly now have an open case. Yeah. So, no, we don't have to give any records. We've got an open case here. We aren't doing anything with it. It's sitting on the shelf, but so, you know, forget your request. We're not going to help you. So what I would like to encourage is uh, our members to contact us through the uh, the website, through the Facebook site, with their particular cases where they have either filed and been denied or have yet to file uh, a request with the whatever agency or agencies are involved. And I got to tell you, I just came across uh, Wayne Robeson, who's one of our members and has been on CrimeWire, previous CrimeWire show. Uh, He found a place called Muck Rock. They do is they help with filing uh, records requests and monitoring the responses. And I went through the pages. I liked what I saw. I signed up for a free basic membership. And I believe if you you want to file requests, you can file up to four agencies or four requests for 20 bucks. They will do it for you. They will help you, guide you through it. and that is relatively cheap, and where you would use it, I guess, is if you had maybe uh, a situation where you had a local law enforcement involved and then a state agency involved or whatever, where you had two or three different agencies that you wanted requests from, um, you can get these four, and it's five bucks a piece average. Uh, it's relatively cheap, certainly cheaper than hiring an attorney or what have you. So uh, I would I would recommend or suggest that uh, anyone with a, it, either a denial that they're dealing with or rejection of their request or haven't filed yet, to get a hold of us on, the, on our closed group page and we can work together to file that request, uh, maybe through Muckrock. Uh, and we can also try to find out if there's been a rejection, research the laws in that particular jurisdiction and find out what steps, if there's any appeal step. And if not, we can contact the agency and find out, you know, what do we do next? Do this person doesn't agree with your decision and we want to go to the next step. Uh, how do we do it? So that's what I'm thinking, Dee. Uh, how does that sound to you? Oh, I think that's, you know, this is exactly what they're looking for is, um, you know, someone that knows their way through the system to be able to provide the resources in order to get the information that they want and maybe someone who can break down some of the barriers that they're running into. And that's what yeah, you, that's and, where you come in. <laughs> yeah, and 
I'm really kind of excited about Muck Rock. In fact, uh, I've been. Uh, you can have your own projects on their site, and I'm trying to get the transparency project on there because it'll give us tremendous exposure. And I got an email this morning from one of the uh, editors there, and uh, he said he really likes the concept. Of course, it's basically what they do. I mean, it's very similar. And what we're trying to do is what they're already doing. And uh, he wants to talk, so I emailed him back that perhaps we can have a, a telephone chat on Friday and uh, and see where that leads us. But in the meantime, any of our members with a story to tell as far as records goes, please, uh, please message us or post on the... Uh, on the Facebook page and we will select some of those uh, people and take their actual case and, and, and try to go through it uh, together and, uh, and see where we go. The, um, you know, I think it's important. And I also would like to hear from anybody who's been successful for example, Phyllis, I know the story there, but people who have been successful in getting information, if after, especially after a denial or after being uh, stonewalled, uh, if, if they came up with, with some method where they actually got the records released, you know, and, and, uh, and how they did it. Anything yeah. we can do to help people, I think we need to do. So if we can take experiences from from some of the members uh, and, and use those uh, if this muck rock works out, if, if what, whatever we can do, uh, I, I think, I think we need to explore every opportunity. And I, once we get a case or two under our belt, you know, and get some experience and, uh, and you know, obviously that's going to make us more efficient and we can better help, our members uh, it, it, as we go along and, and, and learn more about how to proceed with these things. So, uh, you know, and it's tough. I mean, you got these, uh, these agencies and they get, if they get their heels dug in to not cooperate, you know, especially for a non-legitimate reason to cover up incompetence or whatever it is, laziness, whatever happened. Um, it's a tough battle. I, I'm not going into this like a babe in the woods thinking uh, as soon as we send an email to a police agency, they're just going to start shelling out records. I don't, you know, I, I, I know right. better than to believe that. So, Well, I think working just like, alongside a resource like Muckrock would be, very advantageous because, you know, obviously there's power in numbers. And if they, you know, if they have a system in place that works, then absolutely. I think that partnering with someone like that would be very advantageous. What's the old saying? Do you, why reinvent the wheel? Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. So if, they, if they know how to do it, I'm not uh, certainly, uh, you don't say that we are the only game in town. In other words, uh, now the other thing you mentioned is strength in uh, numbers and members. What I'm hoping to do 
if they approve the transparency project on the Muck Rock site. Uh, through that, and I want to encourage our members or listeners, if you know anyone uh, who either has experienced the type of situation we're talking about uh, or maybe uh, has lost a loved one to to murder or suspicious death, uh, even if records are not an issue. But anyone who may be interested in becoming a member, uh, and they can just be supporters, they don't have to have been survivors, um, please do that because I would like, I think we're nearing 100 members after what, three days, D, or for four days, whatever. It's, it's been a short period of time. And, right. Uh, well, that is good. That of course, naturally, that that there is a need for this. That there are people, hundreds in a few days, that have that have come to the site or to the page on Facebook, and I think that shows us that the need is there. That people are having problems breaking through, and whatever you know, whatever we can do to make that happen or help them at least, and or provide resources. Um, to fulfill that need. Yeah, exactly. And I, I would like to see this eventually. And, you know, the transparency project, it, it's not going to be limited to this. Once, once we get our feet firmly on the ground with this, we can expand to other things that require transparency. I mean, there's other things out there. So, um, we're not going to be limited in the long term just to trying to get police records. That's an important issue. We're starting there. But uh, so anybody that can steer members our way, I would like to see that because I would like to see us eventually get not in the hundreds, but in the thousands. Possible. It's going to take. Well, unfortunately, I think it is possible, and that—that's the unfortunate part about it—is that there are so many thousands of people who need help. It's really unfortunate. You're right, Dean. Now that you mention that, we've got a lot of people. The the, as far as getting things done with any type of legislation or anything, there these thousands of people are scattered all over fifty states. So. In other words, if it was a federal law, we only had to deal with the feds, and we think there there should be rewording or uh, tweaking of their uh, FOIA exemptions, for example. Um, we'd only have the one agency to deal with. We convince them, and you know that's law of the land. the The difficult thing is in these situations is we're dealing with people in uh, Wisconsin and Florida and Minnesota and New York and so forth. So we're scattered all over and there's not one legislature to deal with. You got to deal with 50. And uh, uh, that makes it like, you know, climbing the mountain. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, you know, trying to figure out what the, what each um, state or each jurisdiction has as far as their rules, is is it going to be different in every jurisdiction, Denny, or is is, is this a federal I, thing? I've, 
I've seen so far in in the limited research I've done, the feds, if, if you want something from the FBI, for example, they've only got a couple of exemptions, fairly straightforward, fairly clear. Uh, it, but when you start getting into state by state, that's where you're seeing differences. Um, mm-hmm. In the exemptions, so, some are fairly good. They have an appeal process in place and so forth. Others don't seem to have anything. Um, and we're going to have to address these, and I'll research them on a state-by-state basis. Wherever we get the case, I'll research that state to find out mm-hmm. what their law is and, you know, what we need to do to address to address it. Okay. And in some cases, we may have to try to get into that state legislature to say your laws are overly restrictive here. Mm-hmm. You know, they they need they need to be changed. And that again, like I say, I'm not uh, naive. I, I know when you <laughs> when you get involved, it's going to be a very very difficult battle, and it's going to require patience. We're telling the the, uh, the uh, families of the victims, you know, don't give up, be patient. You you got to be patient as tough as it is. And that's where we are. Uh, right. We have to well, be and patient also too. The, you know, you're not a miracle worker. <laughs> you can, you can go and do and, and help them and provide the resources. But in the end, at the end of the day, you're not a miracle worker. And we, we have another caller no. on the line. Are you ready to take a call? Absolutely. Okay. Hi, caller. Hey, Denny. Oh, hi, Donna. Hi. Hi, Delilah. Hi, Denny. It's Lady Justice calling because it's a snow day. (laughs) (laughs) I heard there's a little uh, weather. Oh, yeah, a lot of weather coming. So I I seize the opportunity, and I'm listening, and it's – um, very interesting topic, and you know, I just wanted to add um, uh, my two cents because I have an issue that kind of dovetails with this, with regard to um, freedom of information. I don't know if everyone is aware, but in about um, a month, we are coming up for the second parole hearing for the perpetrator that killed my father, and in. 37 years, we have gotten virtually very limited information about what the perpetrator has been up to. And due to the fact that, um, maybe partially because I work for state government, um, I am able to access some resources here, and I'm going to be able to hopefully change some Connecticut state policies to make things more victim-friendly. And part of that is that a lot of people, I think, in Connecticut, many states are not aware that they can access freedom of information information about perpetrators. So, for example, when you you, you, um, go to a parole hearing or you're trying to get information on a cold case, um, you can use that tool. And I know that you were talking about um, having – um, maybe perhaps people not having resources and whatnot. But I wanted to remind people that everyone in every state has, a, has a, uh, at least two legislators, um, you know, a senator and a representative, and they work for you, and they are for free. 
and those people also have attorneys that are assigned to work for them because believe me um the the um the legislators do not do all the work they have people that do a lot of their work so in my case um and i thought it was very arduous but they said no it's it's pretty straightforward so in a short period of time i was able to get the attorneys for my legislator who happens to be one of the most prominent ones um, to draft a letter um, to, uh, for freedom of information about our, our perpetrator with respect to what kind of programs he's been involved with, what has he denied, has he been employed, has he earned a salary, has it gone to uh, victim compensation, et cetera. And, and then what happened was that they drafted the letter they sent it to the Office of Victim Services, and they forwarded it on to the Department of Correction. And, you know, I don't know if it's going to be 10 pages or 200 pages. So I asked them, would you please just send me the content-laden information regarding these six questions? Uh, because they say that you may have to pay for that. But on the other hand, you can go and view the documents I don't know how much it costs, you know, maybe 25 cents a page, but if you're unable to pay, perhaps you can go and perhaps you can make a screenshot with your phone. I don't know, but I'm, I'm giving you this message to let you know that there are, there are ways for you to get the information through state government, through your legislators, through those people that work for them for free. And this is the first time that I have ever asked my legislators to do anything for me. And I'm happy to say, along with our constitutional victim advocate, she is, you know, she is doing some work. And we are going to be advertising some of the former accomplishments that we had got, gotten done, victim anonymity during parole hearings, as well as telling people about FOIA. It's not even advertised on our state of Connecticut website. So the mere fact of advertising these things that, Denny, what you were saying, the resources are available, but people don't tell people about them, you know? So that's, I just wanted to, to um, uh, you know, tell you about that. And, you know, I think if you're talking about expanding at some point, um, people are going to be in my situation. It looks like every five years now, we're going to have to go through this. So not only is this good for cold cases, but this would also be good for um, board of pardons and parole hearings. I think, and I think it's very valuable. So I commend you for this um, for this process. But Donna, you make some very good points about utilizing our representatives to the full extent that we are able to 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 get changes made and, you know, to get the information that we deserve. So thank you for calling in and yep. best of luck with everything that you're doing. And thank you. Thank you for the information. I'll talk well, soon. My, thank okay. you, Donna. Okay. My, my pleasure. Okay. Thanks a lot. I'll hang up and listen to the rest of the show. Bye-bye. Great. Thank you. Bye-bye. Well, that's a lot yeah, of good very information. Interesting and, you know, we yeah. all complain about our legislators sitting around with nothing to do. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I know that they they do work hard, but we can make them work a little harder. 
yeah, you know, I uh, follow up on what Donna had to say. I a couple of months ago, I contacted my local assemblyman in back in New York, uh, congressman, and I, I got one of his staff uh, people, and I explained I was interested in legislation regarding just what we're talking about here, about, uh, as Donna called it, victim-friendly, to make things more victim-friendly when it came to records and other things. And uh, it, it rather annoying, I guess is the word, disappointing. The uh, the staffer said he would review it with his, uh, with his boss and get back to me. And the bottom line is there aren't enough victims in that to translate into votes. Uh, so the congressman wasn't really interested in getting involved. Uh, you know, that's a terrible thing. If, if there's one person, one constituent who needs help, of course, I and calling as a constituent needing help, I was calling with the suggestion, uh, you know, about some legislative changes. But regardless, if if what I was the concept I was promoting would help even one constituent, they should have at least been more willing, I think, to listen uh, and. You know, instead of translating, well, there aren't really, you know, enough victims here for us to work, you know, for us to go that route. Um, now, I'm not saying every legislator, Donna obviously has some luck with, with, with her uh, efforts, but she, but she, again, was in a different situation where she was a constituent, uh, you know, and was had a case she was personally involved in. Um, I wasn't so. So maybe had I called as uh, a survivor of a victim, maybe I'd have gotten more headway. I don't know. But uh, it, it uh, dealing with all these politicians, uh, I, I think at times we'll find out is not an easy experience. But it's got to be done. Like Donna said, resources are there, and they should. All of them should well exactly, want and it help. could be you know it could be the fact that that you can't personally do this for the people for the families, but you can instruct them on how to get in touch with their legislator and how to uh, how to pitch the whole idea to them as Donna has done, and she's been very successful at getting changes made even through you know, through her experience. Um, and everybody has the ability to do it. But like she said, a lot of people don't even know what resources are available to them because they don't make it well known. And I think, you know, there yeah. again, that's another travesty that, you know, you have these resources or, or things that people can take advantage of, but if they don't know about it, they don't know what they're missing. Exactly. Yeah, out, out of sight, out of mind. Uh, right. 
there there I'm I'm thinking that uh another area I'd like to consider at least would be if who in in your particular area whoever uh, wherever the these cases originated from if you can get a local reporter to take an interest uh, you know, you, you start getting word out like that, it can also influence the politicians. Oh, to, absolutely. Uh, they, maybe they don't, go in you your know, direction. I don't remember who we were speaking to on a recent recent show about, you know, the police departments and and law enforcement agencies don't want to be embarrassed. They don't, you know, they take pride in their work as they should, but in the in some of the small cases where where there maybe is corruption or there is a cover up or or something wasn't done properly and they don't want anybody to know about it um you know those things need to be exposed and dealt with it, it, you know you you can't always um expect an agency to be perfect they're not they're human humans make errors and errors are going to be made but instead of covering them up expose it, own it, and take care of it and make it right. Um, so bringing the media into into this would definitely be an advantage for the families if that's a possibility. Yeah. Um, and I think, I, I don't know today if investigative reporters might be a rare breed. I don't know if there's... Uh, yeah, I think uh, everybody's, everybody gets to be one now because we have the yeah. internet. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But the other difficult thing is with that is that your local TV and, and newspaper, they have to have a working relationship with that police department, sheriff's department, whatever it is. So that's, and sometimes can prevent them from saying, oh, geez, you know, we don't want to be too critical here because we have to rely on them for inside information about their investigations and about, you know, uh, incidents that take place. So it it can be kind of a tough thing to interest the local reporter, but... uh, I believe if you can interest them in the story, that's certainly a, a, an asset, uh, you know, in trying to get cases moved forward or records released, whatever it is. Um, if you can get the news media and then public opinion and so forth on your side, uh, it, it's it's got to be a benefit to you. Right. Absolutely. Now, we're starting to get a little short on time. Do you, what do you say before we sign off? We just touched base with Phyllis again. She's been listening, and I sure. I think she's still on, on there. And see what she has to say about the plans. What do you think, Phyllis? I think what you have said and the issues that you've brought up are awesome. I mean, you've made some good points. And, yes, I did finally get the foyer information after 50 years, but only on my dad. Now, they have destroyed 
and to cover up. And, yes, I'm going to use the term cover up because they covered up and said after 2013, uh, 2013 when the investigator gave me information out of the file, looked in the file, tells me he's 99% sure, sends me photos from the four-year, I mean, in my four-year request staff. Well, then all of a sudden this Captain Peterson he now denies that there is a file. There's no information on my brother. Uh, he has nothing to show. And he went ahead and just added my brother's information that he could come up with in with my dad's. And I asked him, how can you add a 1967 suspected suicide versus murder homicide case in with the 2003 when they murdered my dad unless you feel that he's the same one murdered all of them? You know, so yeah, you can get that for your information, but then you have to be careful on what you ask. And then they sent, they've destroyed the shell casings, they've destroyed the 911 call. They tell me if I want the photo, crime scene photos, hire an attorney to get them, that they're not releasing them. So they sent some of it just enough to cover me, to cover up and say they've sent me all that they're going to. But he tells me that my brother's case and my dad's is nothing changing his mind to change the suicide ruling, but he won't give me anything saying, yes, that's closed, and yes, it's a suicide. So once again, I'm at loss as to how to get that information. So I think the Transparency Project and what you're bringing up is going to really help, and then if we can get someone to come forward and help with these type of issues, it will be great because we as an individual, once that law enforcement tells you, we're not going to do anything else. There's no need to call us. There's nothing else we're going to send you. Well, we're standing there in the middle of the room looking straight up saying, now what do I do? Yeah, you know, uh, I had a, a thought about this. I may have uh, posted it at one point on, on my Facebook page. I don't recall. But it, I, I don't believe in it. And I'm pro-law enforcement. I was a deputy sheriff and a village cop for uh, for a few years, several years actually, and then I went into investigations for New York State, and I'm pro-law enforcement, I'm not pro-incompetence or pro-corruption. So when, when I see cases that kind of scream out that something is wrong, something wasn't done right, something's being covered up, um, I... I I firmly believe that police agencies involved can't, again, investigate itself, and, and you can't count on a fair decision that way. Um, I've even said that maybe, and again, every jurisdiction is going to be different, but uh, a concept of perhaps getting a tribunal, an outside tribunal, maybe from a neighboring city or a neighboring town, uh, a judge yeah. or a neighboring county, uh, a judge, maybe the editor of the newspaper, uh, you know, somebody that's that's got credibility and reputation, and let them look at the file and then say, you know, yay or nay. Uh, this information should be released. It should be released, but in a redacted format. Or no, it's so sensitive and whatever, it can't be released at all. But I, I, I think outside sources reviewing the file and the police agency's decision not to release it, that nothing can be released, uh, 
Um, I think that would be good, but I, I would not want, uh, you know, the neighboring police chief, for example, to, to be the, uh, to be the independent arbiter here because I, they would obviously, in my opinion, tend to side with their brethren, uh, yes, that's got the right. records. So I think it would have to be a neutral party or parties with standing, uh, they don't have to be police oriented or anything, but uh, like I say, people that have reputations uh, for honesty and be independent of that police agency and let them take a look. Delilah, what are your thoughts on that? Oh, absolutely. I, I totally agree with you. And I think in in many cases, if there's nothing to hide, then come forward with the information. And if there is something to hide, then we have to figure out how to how to get it out of them. <laughs> this is yeah, so that's true. Right. And you know, Denny, you were talking about law enforcement. You know, my father was a lieutenant within the sheriff's department. You know, I guess my dad made some mistakes, so just like anyone else. You know, I'm not saying that all police officers are bad. I worked in office law enforcement. I worked five years with the Department of Juvenile Justice. You know, stuff. I have friends that are retired FBI, retired police officers. If it wasn't for the good police officers, just like you, Denny, helping us, you know, if it wasn't for the good ones helping us against some of the bad or the corrupt, where would we be? So you are so right. All law enforcement officers are not bad, and we should not bash them in no kind of way because just like a dentist, a doctor, you have the good, the bad, and the ugly in any walk of life. <laughs> and we have to thank right. the good ones, you know? I, I You're think right. that's a good point, uh, good point to quit on right there, Phyllis. That kind of sums it up. Um, uh, thanks to uh, Phyllis. Thank you very much for your participation. Oh, and thanks to uh, our listeners, and uh, hopefully we'll get some uh, good referrals on our Facebook page. And I think we'll be doing some more, uh, instead of Crime Wire, uh, Transparency Project shows. Thank thanks, you Dave, very much, and until next time, thank you, Phyllis. Thank you.